0: Hello! Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Melissa, and if you are new here, welcome to the Mimosa Sisterhood, where we celebrate all things women, wine, mimosas, booze, friends, parties, you know the jam. In fact, I was recently just on another podcast, and I was trying to explain, like, what this podcast is about, how the name came to fruition, where mimosas come into play. And, you know, the best way that I could describe it is that I am equal parts feminist, equal parts party girl. When I was in San Francisco, I majored in sociology. I was studying feminist theory, human sexuality, gender identity, socioeconomic issues in our society. And I was also ditching class and drinking at the bar with my friend CJ. (laughs) So, It's interesting because I really care about the world and people and how our society operates, but I was also getting drunk off bottomless mimosas with my friends on the weekends. So that's how Mimosa Sisterhood was created. And I think it's actually a very fantastic representation of me. (laughs) So welcome to the show. I hope you enjoy it here. Today, we are diving into another Everyday Woman series, where I get to sit down and chat with a real-life person that is kicking ass in the world today, and I get to talk to her about her life story. So, super amped on it, but before we get into it, I also just wanted to remind everybody, if you didn't know already, which I'm assuming you do since you're listening to this podcast, March is Women's History Month. woo And, you know, there's not much celebrating I can do in Women's History Month since this podcast celebrates women's history every single day of the year. Um, But one thing that I thought was important to note that I kind of wanted to kick off this episode discussing is just like... Reflecting on the fact that I live in 2021, I'm sitting here in my apartment. I have a microphone in my face. I am projecting my voice into this podcast for people around the entire world to hear, to soak up, to analyze, to enjoy, to absorb. The point i'm trying to make is that i live in a world where i'm even allowed to sit here and talk about this and have it published for all of the world to hear and that's something that has not been readily available or accessible to the mass majority of women that came before me and so i really try to remind myself all the time you know every time i record these episodes i have to really think about the fact that i am extremely lucky to have this opportunity, to be able to create a show that's mine, to be able to speak about things that can be considered taboo or were silenced or were ignored and highlight certain things in history that we don't know about. And also just to celebrate important women out there, important women whose lives have been forgotten, silenced, ignored, Women who have done incredibly amazing, dangerous, remarkable, brave things, so that I can sit here today and be able to have a podcast that I can stream on platforms that go into the ears of people worldwide. It's truly insane. And I am just so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm so humbled. And that's really what I'm reflecting on this month. And I would invite you to also think about the things in your life that you have the luxury of experiencing today, that you have the freedom of experiencing today, that many women before didn't have, but the actions, the steps, the things they did in their lives that helped us get to this place, those are the things I want you to remember this month as we celebrate women. So that's my little tidbit. (laughs) But in addition, of course, I am going to do my part in celebrating Women's History Month. And that is entirely related to the woman that I am having on the show today. I am literally still... On cloud nine over the fact that I was able to get this woman on the podcast that she was willing to carve out an hour of her day and her time to sit here with me and talk about her life for you and I and just blown away of just like where I am at today versus where I started three years ago So some of you might already have a little bit of a clue of who I'm talking about, especially if you've been listening to this podcast since day one, because I have talked about her on the podcast six trillion thousand times, and I've talked about her on social media. She's been very heavily tied to my podcast, and that is because she is the reason why this podcast even exists. What she created, what she put out in the world is something that landed in my hands that I got to see, I got to read, I got to absorb, and it's the number one thing that inspired me to launch this podcast. So, of course, I am talking no other than Anne Shen, the author and illustrator of my favorite book of all time, Bad Girls Throughout History. And she is also the author and illustrator of Legendary Ladies and her most recent book, Nevertheless, She Wore It. So I received Anne's book in 2017 from my mom, and this was December, the very last month of the worst year of my life. And the best gift I got was this book that was filled of not only the most beautiful illustrations of women throughout history, but such amazing biographies of their lives, where they'd come from, the things they've invented and created, the women of firsts. It was literally just everything I could have ever needed at this point in my crumbling, miserable, depressed life. (laughs) So, You know, I tell Anne on the podcast, you know, thank you so much for creating your book because you are what inspired me to create my show. And it's just so true. So, the Mimosa Sisterhood would not exist without Anne, without her books. So, whenever I talk about this podcast, I have to always give a shout out to Anne Shen because it's really true that I may not be where I'm at today if it wasn't for the world, the universe, God, to have brought her book into my life at the end of a very horrific year. So somehow I was able to get Anne on the podcast and I am stoked about it. Super fangirl moment for me. I am just so thankful that she said yes and that you guys finally get to hear her and I have a conversation and also just hear her story on how she became an artist, how she came to write and publish these incredible books, and just more about the woman behind the magic. So on that note, let's just dive into it because I'm so excited about this, you guys. This is really just incredible for me. So enjoy the motherfucking show. Anne, thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here.
0: It is such an honor to me that you are here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy the honoring goes both ways. I am so excited about this. And I've told my listeners on the show six trillion times that your book, Bad Girls Throughout History, was literally the reason that this podcast exists today and just a little backstory for you i i think it was 2017 i had like the worst year of my life all kinds of stuff was going on just a lot of like negative bad down and it was christmas time and my mom got me your book for christmas And I was so excited about it and I was like oh my god this is so cool like I love it this is awesome and just like flipping through the pages looking at not only the beautiful illustrations of all these incredible women but reading their life stories and there were like so many women in there I'd never heard of and I was just like oh my god you know I've just spent this whole year feeling like so alone and so like down and just like this lack of confidence and like one just getting that book for Christmas was from my mom of all people was just incredible and then two just instantly feeling so happy and inspired and like comforted by the women and their stories and the art that I was like oh my god I can't believe this book just made me feel so great I can probably do the same for other people I'm going to start a podcast and I'm going to tell them about women throughout history and I did. (laughs) (laughs) And now, three years later, we have covered the lives of over 100 women in counting. And so that I don't know that that would have happened if I wasn't gifted your book and seriously you are really like the number one source of inspiration behind my podcast which I'm hoping will one day become a career so I owe you a huge thank you and the funniest part about all of this is when I started my podcast I used to have a co-host and her and I I ended up buying her your book too I was like I got this book for Christmas it's amazing I'm buying it for you and her and I used to crack jokes like, wouldn't it be so funny if one day Anne was on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, like this long distant joke of like, yeah, right, haha, in our dreams and now you're here. So oh my gosh.
1: all you had to do was ask. <laughs>
0: It's just crazy to me. So I'm really excited about this. So happy that you're here. Thank you. I know the listeners are going to be so excited that you're here as well. So just another 6,000th thank you. And yeah, just tell everybody about yourself, who you are, where you came from, what you're doing, and (laughs) all of the good stuff.
1: Oh my gosh, this is always such a hard question. Um, I'm an (laughs) author and illustrator based in Los Angeles. I was born and raised in Orange County and then lived in San Diego for college and then moved to L.A. Um, a while ago after college. And um, yeah, I work for myself all the time. I've been doing it for seven years. I've started teaching online recently and that's been really rewarding. And I guess that's what I do.
0: <laughs> so one thing I'm wondering, like, what came first? like? You were always an artist, but were you also really into like writing or into history? Like, was there a timeline of like how these talents came to to be? Or, uh, like, how did that evolve?
1: That's a great question because I think that's something a lot of people struggle with finding, right? Mm -hmm. So, it is just looking backwards. I've always loved art and writing, but I actually didn't really pursue art seriously until my mid 20s. I started off more a writer. I was always like writing little novels when Mm. I was in middle school and printing them out and handing them to my friends, like in Uh, little binders.
0: (laughs) That's so cool.
1: And and then I went to college and studied writing and photography. So I was always like a very artsy person, but I Mm. didn't really draw at the level that I do now, obviously, or at a level that I would have considered making a profession at the time. And then I've always been a very staunch feminist. When I was in college, I performed in the Vagina Monologues for two years. And then one of my first jobs out of college was at Plain Parenthood. And it was right after that that I decided I actually wanted, I couldn't be a career novelist at 22. I mean, other people can, but I didn't feel like I could at the time. So I decided to go back to school for illustration and become like, have my day job be art and design instead of, you know, working in nonprofit work that I didn't find as fulfilling as I go into it when I'm an idealistic young Mm -hmm. person. So that's how I fell into art. And then kind of towards my last semesters in school where we were directed to do more self-driven projects before we're about to, you know, go out into the real world and find work. That's when I developed Bad Girls Throughout History as a zine at first, and that's kind of where my writing background came back into play. Mm -hmm. I did like writing and event planning for nonprofits, so I was always doing some sort of professional writing, but I really set it aside when I decided to just really put in the time to go full force into being an artist. Mm -hmm. And so when I had to think of making projects that define me as an artist, I came back to the things that I was always interested in, which was you know, work that really spoke to my experience as a woman and as a woman of color and um, sharing that with people and helping other people feel less alone. And so that's kind of where the writing came back in. So I could write the zine. At the time, it was not a very extensive, it's not like the book at all. It was Mm -hmm. more artwork and like little one-liners that I hand-lettered. Um, But just doing that research was so fun because this was in like 2010 and so nothing like it existed. And that's when I knew I wanted to create things that I wanted to see in the world. And that's kind of how it came about. And that's kind of how those things connected together. Thankfully, I did have a writing background. So by the time I got an agent several years later, a book agent who saw the project and asked if I would be interested in turning it into a book, I was ready to do that because Mm -hmm. I was able to write it, and I was able to illustrate it, and I'd already been working on it for about four years. You know, in the background, like, with my day job and all my freelance clients, I also still worked on personal projects, and this was one of them.
0: So cool. So I'm wondering, you know, when you decided to go, like, back to school to actually take classes in art and illustration, was that something that you did while you were still working, like, a career-type job, or... Did you like leave your current, leave your job at the time to then pursue more school or were you kind of doing the two at the same?
1: So it started off, I was just, I just jumped from job to job to job and I was super unhappy with where I was. It was 2008 as well, which was the beginning of a huge economic (laughs) depression. So I was kind of like, what do I want to do um, with the rest of my life? Because it's not this. And this office admin work that I was doing at the time. And uh, my mom actually suggested, well, you always loved art. Why don't you take some extension classes at a local art school and, you know, just see where that goes. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that. But as soon I did that for about a year, about three semesters. And as soon as I started doing that, I was hooked. I was like, you know what? I really want to do this full time. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to do this as a hobby or at the time etsy and blogs are starting up so i was like maybe i'll open an etsy shop but i was like no i'm not at the level that i want to be at um and i know the only way i can do that is this is around the time malcolm gladwell released um outliers and the whole mm-hmm. 10,000 hour rule came out and i was just like i really need to take that full commitment that leap leave my job go back to school full-time get a bfa in illustration so i give myself that 10,000 hours to get to a level of proficiency Mm -hmm. that I can make this my career in a way that felt good to me.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. So would you say that taking these courses was really like what leveled you up in your art skills?
1: For me, yes. Definitely going back to art school full-time is what leveled me up. Like all the work before that was just like, I always liked drawing the way that all kids like drawing. Mm-hmm. And um, it did come more naturally to me than say something like math or science. Like I knew it was something that I loved and um, could be good at. Mm-hmm. It was definitely getting that technical training that took me to the next level.
0: And today you're actually teaching art courses, right?
1: I am. And actually that's part of my, um, I just started it I had originally intended to do more live in-person workshops because uh-huh. um, I started doing that last last month. <laughs> Haven't
0: we all? <laughs> I swear, it's like everybody I talked to. It was like the one year that they had been planning to launch this huge event, yeah. you know, company or whatever in person, and now we all just got slapped in the face. And it's like, all right, Plan B. <laughs>
1: it's definitely a great lesson in being agile, which is something that'll always help you as a as a person who works for yourself. Yep. Um, so I started teaching online through Skillshare and it's been super rewarding and fun because one of my main things was art school. Traditional art school is very antiquated in the way that they teach. Um, I struggled a lot, like beyond the fact that I took out a huge loan to go back to a private art school, I struggled a lot almost the entire time I was there because I felt like I didn't fit in. I didn't do the right type of work. I wasn't, doing what was cool or what was popular. And then that in turn, you know, gave me anxiety about my ability to turn it into a career afterwards, which was a huge risk because I was taking out this huge lot and putting myself through school. So looking back now, like it's been almost 10 years since I graduated. It's like, I want to actually, well, first of all, I had like one female teacher in the three years that I was there and The thing was like the way that traditional art schools still teach, they just don't respond to the times as fast. Even just in the 10 years since I graduated art school, the way that you promote or share your work is so different. And there's so many different ways you can be an illustrator that I wasn't exposed to when I was in school. It was so much about the technical training, um, which was helpful, but It didn't really prepare me for the real world. And I taught myself so much after school. And again, when I graduated, there weren't like, there are all these amazing online programs now. And at the time there weren't. So I Mm -hmm. love being part of uh, making art more accessible to people and making learning these skills more accessible to a huge variety of people who can't take out a huge private loan or, um, or maybe are in parts of the world where they don't have access Mm -hmm. to art schools or an art community. And I love taking my technical background training and translating it into a way that's fun and accessible for a person starting out at any stage or any part of their life. Like they could be, maybe their kids have all gone off to college and they want to start Mm -hmm. their art life again. Or maybe it's someone who's young and wants to start and learn and doesn't have access to, an art community or an art school so mm-hmm. um it's been really fun and it's also just like there are things that i learned that didn't have to be as hard as the way that they taught us right and so i like teaching that too
0: yeah and you know what else too like school has always just been a pain in the ass for me even since i was a kid and i feel like there's just this like always ongoing pressure of like I I need to pass. I don't want to get the you know, the failing grade. Oh my God, this person next to me, you know, did way better than I did. Why? I don't understand. And then you start feeling insecure. Like, why can't I get mm. it right? But everybody else is. And then like half the time your teachers are intimidating and you know, you don't want to go to those office hours. And it's just like I feel like there's just like the structure of it all yeah. is far less warm and inviting is if you were to just work one-on-one with somebody who is just teaching you their actual experience in an environment where there's literally no pressure because you're just doing this on your own for you at your own pace, you know? And I think that's so special that like, you know, now we live in a world where this is far more common. Like years and years ago, creatives were not creating their own programs for people. I feel like this is kind of a lot like far newer. And um, somebody who I love, Kathy Heller, I'm obsessed with her podcast. I don't know if you've heard of her, but it's called Don't Keep Your Day Job. She is like this woman who constantly preaches to the choir that like, Anybody can have their own business and like think about what you are good at, what you love, what you excel at, and then think about the number of people out there who probably want to learn that same thing that you're already really great at. And like you don't need to have the degree, you don't need to have the certification, you just need to create it and put it out there and there's going to be people that are interested. And it's, I feel like this is something that's so much, far more common today than it's ever been, you know, in the past. And And I I love it. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I
1: think it's great because it's accessible to people who have all different learning styles, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't work for all of us to sit in a classroom and listen to someone lecture and then do homework at home by yourself and then Mm -hmm. just turn that in without someone walking you through everything, personalized in a way. And also it's very exciting to get to work with people. Like I I take classes myself and I sign mm-hmm. up for masterclass and I also take classes through that. And I think it's so exciting to have access to people who are making work right now, who's mm-hmm. relevant that you could take a class with, like an artist you admire, you're like, how do you do that process? Mm-hmm. I'm still learning all the time too, cause that's what um, is exciting about life, right? To learn new ways to do things and new ways, new um, perspectives. And, and you don't have the gatekeeping of who gets to be a teacher, mm-hmm, right? Totally. Like, which is a huge problem. And so you get teachers with so much more broad experiences and backgrounds. And you find someone who can speak to you the way that you learn best. Absolutely. So it's all about making it so much more accessible. And I love that.
0: Yeah. And it's also giving, you know, the people like myself or you, like another stream of income, like a way to use our talents to also make money and take care of our families and, you know, do things sort of our own way, our entrepreneurial way, rather than like, let me get the corporate job and work the nine to five and, you know, work these jobs that, you know, I can make money at, but maybe aren't as fulfilling. But now people have the opportunity to actually make money in the things that they love to do while teaching people how to do it in a more accessible way for them. So it's kind of just like a win-win all around. It really is. (laughs) I love it. Uh, So I know you do lots of different styles of art and I'm wondering like if anyone is any particular style you love the most like for instance I know that you are big into lettering you do a lot of Disney princesses uh different florals food illustrations like anything that you love doing the most
1: oh my gosh I mean at the end of the day I just love drawing pretty women with flowers (laughs) it's just really fun yeah it's I mean that's why there's a long history of people painting women uh-huh. and flowers because it's just really fun and, and you just want to like spend time with lovely things. Um, so I just love doing that. And like you said, it translates across all sorts of mediums and subjects and projects because it's kind of my lens of how I see the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I also love doing food illustrations because I'm very passionate about food as well and lettering, like. Lettering is kind of where I marry my writing and my the things that I nerd out about. I love to read. So a lot of what I read that influences me um, and then percolates and synthesizes into something that I love to letter um, and that people really seem to connect with that too. So mm-hmm. it's uh, really fulfilling both ways in terms of it's work that makes me really happy. Like oftentimes I letter something that I need to hear or want to hear mm-hmm. and when I put it out there. I get a lot of people who are like, "I really needed to see this today," and that's right. awesome. That's an awesome feel. Yeah, so cool.
0: <laughs> well, you're probably just like, "Well, duh! I love everything I I make. Like, <laughs> there's no favorite. I love all of them. That's why I make them all." No, I know. I actually, I mean, I think. Your the drawings that you have of women are my favorite but i love everything that you create but i get so excited every time i see like a new woman pop up on your instagram like especially when you release uh art that's like relevant with the times you know like something groundbreaking happens the next day you've got like the art up of that woman Mm -hmm. and it's just like fun to be like oh my god like one how did you do that so quickly and two yes keeping the energy alive the spirit alive i love it So did you have any, like, major inspirations in your life that kind of, like, led you to be super creative or whether that be in, like, writing or illustration or um, just deciding to finally pursue art? Like, I know you already mentioned that your mother kind of, like, pushed you down that path. Um, Would you say she was, like, your main source of inspiration or anybody else, even already famous artists that are out there? Like, anybody in particular?
1: Um... No, actually, what I want to say is maybe because some maybe someone wants to hear needs to hear this is that actually in the beginning, when I was like really little, like five, I said I wanted to be an artist. And my mom was like, no, mm-hmm. you do not want to be. An art-. And I was like horrified that I, you know, did or said something wrong, because um, when I as a kid, I was always such like a like a good girl, basically. Mm-hmm. And um so she actually really steered me away from it in the beginning. And then in her in my mid-20s was when after I'd already had a college degree, I think is when she was like, well, go do whatever you want with your own time now. Yeah. Um, so I just want to say that because I didn't my parents are um first generation immigrants, so they worked a lot and they weren't around a lot. So mm-hmm. I that's why I was able to spend a lot of my free time like writing stories or building websites and just exploring all my things that I was curious in. Um, But I wouldn't say that I was like totally supported. It was more like I kind of had to figure it out, especially as a kid of the 90s before we had the internet. Like I Mm -hmm. wrote my first story on a typewriter that my mom had.
0: Oh my God, that's (laughs) so so cool.
1: It's just – so I just want people to hear that because not everyone will come from a supportive family, especially for something like art where it – previously was always seen as something that my mom was like you're gonna have to live with us we're gonna have to support you for the rest of your life like that kind of fear Mm -hmm. which is something i'm really passionate about dispelling now as an artist who makes a really good living like art is actually something you can make a great impact with and also make a lot of money doing Mm -hmm. um but i have to say what came along later in my life that kind of convinced me that i could do this as a career was actually my boyfriend who is now my husband um he actually went to like applied and went to cal Arts a year like the first year we started dating and he was 26 at the time so i was like wait i can go back to school again like you know i can go back to school later because i was very much on the track of like you go to high school and then i went to ucsd and got a degree and then you know and that was it now i have to yeah. go to you know get a job um maybe get an mfa later but i was like wait, I can actually like go back and get a BFA in illustration to get the technical skills I need. And visiting him at CalArts, I was seeing all these other people who were also like learning to become professional artists.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that was actually super eye opening for me, because I never been around people who actually were going to be artists professionally, or were training to be artists professionally. And so that was really exciting. And then really expanded my mind of what was possible for me still. Mm -hmm. Like, it's crazy to think now that at 23, I was like, it's over. This is it. (laughs) But um, that's how you feel that. yeah. And so that was one. And then the other thing was like, that's the main one. I think that's when I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this too. (laughs) I'm going to apply and go back to art school too. Um, So he's been a huge inspiration in helping me see that that was possible. And then what's funny is like when I applied to art school, it was 2008. And so there were like, there was no social media. There were very few blogs. So a couple blogs I did read was Lisa Congdon's and um, Emily Martin's and they're both still working artists now and they had mm-hmm. Etsy shops at the time. And I was just like, oh, like, this is the first time I'm seeing women currently making art, like not a woman who's, you know, long gone mm-hmm. or an illustrator who's long gone even. Like, I couldn't even name illustrators who are currently working at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we had, a, I remember having to write an essay about three um, like artists who inspired you to applied art art school and I wrote about Mary Blair Charlie Harper and I can't remember the third one now but like they were artists who are still very influential on me but are long gone and there was no current working artist showing me a model of what it was like to do this except for these women who had like blogs and Etsy shops at the time very early days of that so that was also a huge inspiration for me
0: yeah um,
1: to see that like oh that's something I can do now and it on my own terms, like I don't have to be hired by a company or something to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are huge inspirations for me, like seeing other people do it.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I feel like I totally feel the same way in just my own podcasting thing, you know, like, I it didn't really feel real to me until I joined a like a master program with Ooh. other podcasters. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, Oh, my God, um, there are other people doing this other women doing this, like, For once, I'm not just, like, putting content out into the world with, like, nobody else that, like, knows how it's done or understands like the challenges you know I finally had like a group of people that I could like bounce ideas off and like chat through things with and then I was like wow this just got really real (laughs) Like, like you know it's like once you see it and you're kind of like seeing how other people are doing it and you realize that like hey this can actually be a real thing for me it doesn't just have to be a casual hobby I do for fun then I feel like even just like being able to see it it really kicks things into gear and you can start like taking your yourself seriously and like yeah. kind of like brush away all of those like you know phrases in the back of your mind that say I can't do this or I don't deserve to do this or I have no place doing this like mm-hmm. it, it allows you to just kind of like brush it all away and be like actually yes I can look at everybody else who's doing it and it just it's really like, that's been a huge confidence boost for me is just seeing the visibility out there of other people, especially women who are not only doing it, but have successfully done it and are now able to make a career out of it because they pursued it and just never stopped.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: So I know you, well, actually before that, I wanted to ask, when you were creating Bad Girls throughout history, like, was there any... Uh, did you know right in the beginning like which women you wanted to draw and write stories for in the book or like was there any real method on who you picked and how you picked these women and then also in addition to that would you say like there's one or two women that are your biggest inspirations in terms of like women in history like who are your favorites
1: oh my gosh okay um so when I started it it was very it started because I read about Ada Lovelace and mm-hmm. I was like, my mind was blown that I never heard about her, this woman who invented computer programming. So I was like, okay, I want to find out about more women who are the first to do something. Mm-hmm. So that's the interesting thing. Like what's hard about Bad Girls Read History now is that it is a book that's very, it came out in 2016. I worked on it from like 2010 to 2015. And it didn't, nothing like it existed at the time because I was looking for it.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: so my, my, um, I guess like my thesis with the book was really to show like these were the first women to do this thing in their field, in all sorts of fields, because I was really struggling with being someone who wanted to create art in a different way, um, in my small little art school community. And I was struggling so much. And so reading her story, I was like, oh my gosh, that's already like another, like so many women had been the first to try something in their own little world and must've felt the exact same way. And like you are saying, it just made me feel so much less alone.
0: Mm-hmm. And so Bad
1: Girls is really about, like my criteria for selecting the women was that they had to be the first to do something in their field. And Mm -hmm. so now like looking at it with a 2021 lens, which I kind of knew going into it when I was writing it, that this was gonna be a problem and addressed it a bit, is that a lot of the time that meant white women got to be the first to do something Mm -hmm. because of privilege. And Mm -hmm. so that book heavily features a lot of white women, which was a difficult thing for me as a woman of color to reconcile because I wanted of course to include many interesting people from all different countries. But at the time, it was harder to research than it is now. Oh, yeah. And so what's interesting is like, to me, that book, I still love that book, because it really, to me, is about connecting with other women who are the first to try something in their own little world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that feeling of how scary and how daunting and how much self-doubt they had to overcome in order to have the confidence to do the thing that they did and look at what a difference it made in the the world even if it was after hopefully it was during their lives and they got to get their you know kudos then but Mm -hmm. um as you could see like with all the different women they had different experiences and that was another thing i wanted to highlight like how many different ways you could be a woman and the first to do something and pursue it and how many different backgrounds it doesn't matter where you come from so that was my criteria for choosing bad girls throughout history Mm -hmm. um and it's difficult because now there's so many books that have come out that are similar to it that um just have the idea of like celebrating women and so Mm -hmm. looking at bad girls being so dominantly white is is difficult because they don't understand like the thesis of it is really about being the first and that Mm -hmm. of course ties into privilege Mm -hmm. um but that just i mean in the books that i've written since then i've been able to cast a much wider net of all the different types of people i could feature so um, that is how I pick people for Bad Girls Red History. It started off with, I think, 16 women in the first zine. And then I probably added like another 16 or 20. And then um, I think by the time I wrote, I got the book deal and wrote the book, I had already had maybe 40 women. Mm-hmm. And we did have to edit some out because of various reasons. But it opened up the opportunity for more a more interesting, diverse space. And then what was your second question?
0: Oh, just do you have like maybe one oh. or two, three particular women that either you've just loved researching the most or whose stories like spoke to you the deepest? Um, just any like favorites that you might have. Oh,
1: my gosh. It's <laughs> I always get asked to pick favorites. And it's always so impossible because I know it's um, so I'll tell you the one that was most impactful on me when I was researching and it was Harriet Tubman because I had known about Harriet Tubman, maybe an eighth grade US history understanding of her. Right. So Uh like a paragraph, Um, but reading and doing the research on her story and how much she did. It was like, after I finished doing the research on her, I remember closing the book I was reading that day and I just cried at my desk. And that was like the only person that made whose story made me cry so hard. Or uh, cry at all because she did so much with so, so little. Like, <laughs> yeah. And the absolute just,
0: littlest amount.
1: <laughs> and she was disabled, like, because of a horrible injury beca- mm-hmm. that her master, like, threw this iron at her head. So she had epilepsy her entire life or had seizures I don't know if she was diagnosed with epilepsy obviously but like she would have seizures her entire life so like imagine running through the underground railroad like 13 times in your life I think it was 13 I my numbers are a little fuzzy now um like to help other people knowing that at any moment like you could have a seizure which is brought on by intense stress like just Mm -hmm. doing something like that and then even when she got the little money that she got from Speaking or whatever she did later in life, she bought a house so that it could be turned into a senior home for other escaped African-Americans or other freed Black Americans is just like just incredible how much she did in her life. Yeah. And it just made me feel like, okay, like imagine how alone she felt, but also like there's nothing... That is scary enough in my own life that I can't, you know, speak up or anything that would be at risk to me personally Mm -hmm. um, that I can't do because look at what she did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I have also, like, favorite stories that are Uh more like, I love it when women get the last word or do something Uh sassy. But, like, that was (laughs) the most impactful on me because I just cannot... It really, really affected me. And this is after, like, researching. I researched, like, 100 women for bad girls throughout history. Mm -hmm. And and in my two following books, like, no one else has made me cry.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I totally relate because, I mean – just again, you know, why your why your book was so impactful for me was because I was suffering so much. And yeah. then when you read stories of other women who've also suffered, and then also having to like make the connection that like, wow, not only did this woman suffer, but she had way less opportunity. She had way less rights than I currently have, you know, just that how different the times were and imagining like, You know, not that my suffering doesn't apply anymore, but just... Reading course, those yeah. stories and connecting to them, and just l- allowing you to not only relate but feel less alone, feel like you have a friend, feel like you have a partner. Uh, learning from their life stories and how they got through their struggles or hardship, yeah. but also just feeling very like humbled by it. Like yeah. so many times when I research women's stories and tell their stories on the show, like I feel very grateful that I got to even learn about them. Yeah. Like I'm now a better person that I've digested this information and like almost know this woman now on a personal level, which of course I don't, but I kind of always feel that way once I've, I've, you know, spent a week researching somebody and presenting their lives. I'm like, yes, this is my new best friend. I love her.
1: I absolutely agree. Yeah. Right? Getting to know their stories, it really helps you. It's like why we read books too, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because we mm-hmm. want to live other lives or develop our empathy and compassion. And these are like real women's lives. And so it's just so, um, and also, like, seeing them be a strong woman mm-hmm. helps you see that be possible for yourself, too, mm-hmm. right? Yep, like,
0: 100%. Yeah. It's, like, that extra boost of, like, I knew – I know I can get through this, but, like, now I really know I can get through this. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah. um, Cool. Well, I also want the audience to hear about your other two books. I know you have Legendary Ladies and mm-hmm. Nevertheless, She Wore It. So I believe is Nevertheless, She Wore It your most recent book? Yes. 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 Okay, so tell me about both of those.
1: Okay, so Legendary Ladies came out in 2018. And it's about goddesses from all different cultures around the world. So after Bad Girls, it was kind of like, what's next? And it came out around the the 2016 US election. And I, it really made me think, like, how did we get here with women? Like, growing up in the 90s is, is such a mind trip because it makes me think, like, at the time we were told, like, all right, sexism and racism is over. We, we, we solved it. And now we're <laughs> learning, like, yeah, we really didn't. And all our experiences are valid. Even though people were trying to say, no, 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 we solved it. It's fine. Um, And so I wanted to go back to the history of how people viewed females and women, which is 50% of the population, um, in their culture. So I decided to do this whole book on goddesses because goddesses are often like the origins of a lot of cultures. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it was really interesting to see how women were perceived and yeah, basically how women were perceived by these cultures in the Mm beginning that someone like, like Athena was the Greek goddess of war and knowledge. And it's like almost inconceivable now to think of women as being almost even like a leader in a military, you know, thing, like it's a big thing when they are the leader. And so it's just like, No, actually, this is a normal thing for lots of cultures, for women to have positions of power, to Mm -hmm. be the root of many things, because we all come from women. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of more ancient cultures respected that. A lot of mythologies respect that, too. And they value things like compassion, mercy, and things that I think we've also, in our modern, like, capitalist society, have seen as lesser work, like housework or Mm -hmm. things like women's work seeing that seeing that as women's work but in a degraded way right Mm -hmm. and so I just wanted to tell stories about these interesting goddesses I feel like everybody also goes through like a mythology um period in their life like oh yeah
0: i had like a homer book that was like this huge (laughs) when i was in eighth grade yeah i know i didn't read the whole thing but i was really excited about that book
1: (laughs) but i feel like we focus so much i i feel like i've learned so much only about greek and roman mythology so i wanted to mix in all different cultures around the world that Mm -hmm. had goddesses. And so because I didn't see a book like that, like Mm -hmm. in my research, they were either all together or they weren't like accessible reads. So I wanted to create something that was like a fun, beautiful read about goddesses all different around the world. And then my third book, Nevertheless, She Wore, it just came out last fall. It's all about fashion, which I love and women and power. And it's all about how women have not had a lot of power in the last century. And so they use the one thing at their disposal, their clothing and the way they dress and something that's typically dismisses feminine and frivolous and use that to express their opinions, their thoughts, their unity their and their power. Mm -hmm. And so that was a really fun book to research and then to kind of write about because again, I didn't really see a whole lot of books about that. Um, There are books about fashion and then there are, books about women and their stories. But it was interesting to just extrapolate, like, moments or movements mm-hmm. of how we can use clothing, something that we do. We all get dressed every single day. Well, most of us.
0: <laughs> Not so much in the past year. Exactly. But yes. <laughs> but even
1: that is a choice, right? Like, how you yeah. present yourself, you're dragged to the world. Like, Rufal says, we're all born naked. The rest is uh-huh. drag. Is that how we want to present ourselves to the world? I think if, if more than anything, we've learned that in the last year of like, mm-hmm. oh, how much of it is how I want to present to the world, and who would I be if I was just no one saw me <laughs> and I was just home all day, yep. and, um, and I think in that way we've learned the power of fashion, right? Mm-hmm. Like the power of. You feel after a year of maybe just wearing sweatpants and not putting on makeup, I feel good when I put on makeup now. And it makes it really is just for me. And it makes me feel like the woman that I want to be. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so so that's really what that book is about. And we talk about fun moments like. Lil' Kim's pasty at the VMAs and Diana's revenge dress.
0: Oh, I was totally going to say that. I was going to say there has to be a Diana
1: revenge dress. Amazing. (laughs) That was like one of the first things I definitely had to make it. Um, And it also talks about how much of it is about like who you are as a woman. Like Jennifer Lopez's Versace, like really low cut dress Mm -hmm. that had actually already been worn twice on the red carpet before she wore it that season. But nobody remembered anyone else except her because of who she is. That moment in time for her, that was like when she made her red carpet debut with I think with Diddy. And it was just mm-hmm. like, I wanna say it was the Grammys and it was just like a whole, it was a thing. Um, and so it, that's just such a fascinating intersection for me, um, especially as someone who loves fashion and it gets written off as something that's very, um, like a feminine interest It's not important. And so, that's what, nevertheless, is about. I
0: love it. So, what did it feel like the first time, like you saw your books released
1: to the world? It's was it like crazy? It's funny. It's very anticlimactic, honestly. Really, <laughs> I think every author could say that because you have your release day coming up. You've been working on this thing for one, two, three years, even yeah. more. Um, and we are in a society that is not so. We don't go to the bookstores to buy books as much anymore. And so unless you're like a Stephen King or someone like that, Mm -hmm. um, bookstores kind of like get their releases in, like it's not like a huge debut Mm -hmm. day in store. But once you do start seeing it on shelves, it's pretty incredible. It's a really cool feeling. I think one of the huge highlights for me was when I was in Paris, I went to the Shakespeare and Co bookstore and I saw my books there, and it was just so freaking cool.
0: (laughs) I would, they drop dead on the floor. They'd have to, like, stretcher me out of there, like, is she breathing? I feel like it would be just, like, the craziest thing, like, just so surreal, especially, like, for how much time was spent to create that, to then finally have it not only just done but like out in the world and you're seeing it
1: it feels really cool and you're like wait is this in everybody's bookstores like can everyone else see this too
0: (laughs) yeah that's so cool um would you say there are any like particular challenges that you weren't expecting that you came across when you were developing or creating the book Um, or any of the books really not just your first but you know
1: you know the hardest part is always the research Like, I feel Mm -hmm. like I can never do enough. I'm actually writing my fourth book right now. And it really is like researching and writing is like pulling teeth for me because I am trying to, well, it's probably similar to what you experience when you're researching a woman a week. It's like, I have five months to write this book and I want to make sure it's as accurate as possible yeah um because you're dealing with real people's lives and that was my mm-hmm. biggest fear with my first book coming out I had so many stress streams about people writing me and telling me oh no you you're got wrong. this wrong and yeah well inevitably that happens anyway <laughs> mm-hmm. and the thing is what I've discovered with all my research is that stories and facts are honestly just still very editorialized like something will just Something will be written in one book and then two decades later they'll be like, oh no, we discovered it was actually something else. Mm-hmm. And so you just try to tell the best story you can. And I pull the best – the things that are interesting to me as a human and as a person to read now. Because I want I want my books to be really accessible just like everything else I do. I want it to be like – I was never someone who loved history class or loved reading history books. But also like 99% of history books are mostly biographies about white men. And so (laughs) I want to create books that are fun and easy to read so that, you know, something you didn't know before, but it Mm -hmm. didn't feel like you had to read a whole thing about it. Mm -hmm. Um, It expands the world without, but it's fun and beautiful. And so that's actually still really hard to do because I'm doing all this research to synthesize it into this like one page (laughs) about this one. Totally. So that is the most challenging part. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that's the most challenging part.
0: Do you have any particular advice for anybody that is either, you know, wanting to start a new creative project or pursue art or even just pursue writing? Like any like tips and tricks you would tell that person when they were to get started? Like anything that you've learned that you wish your younger self had known that you can now speak to today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say give yourself a daily project. Um, something that you have to show up for every day. You can show it to people or you can just keep it to yourself. But give yourself that one hour every day that you sit down at your desk or your easel or whatever it is that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Give yourself that one hour every day and just totally go all in. Give yourself the space to do that. Set up like, Elizabeth Gilbert calls it an art trap for yourself like like make it as easy as possible this is what I do with working out basically make it as easy as possible (laughs) for you to do the thing like as few steps as possible and so maybe you leave your sketchbook and your watercolors on your dining room table or um just have that thing open like I'm also trying to learn to play the ukulele I just have that in my living room at all times next to my couch so like it's easy for you to just pick it up and do mm-hmm. it. It's still, of course, hard and life gets in the way. But if you want, if you really want to do something and incorporate it into your life, create that time for yourself. It doesn't even have to be an hour. It could just be mm-hmm. whatever time you could do it. But do it daily. Um, daily projects really help me take my work and my commitment to the next level.
0: Yeah, that's some really great advice. And it cracks me up that you – brought up working out because i have the spin bike like two feet from me and it's the <laughs> bane of my existence i'm just like oh i wish you were in my face every day because now i have to ride you or yeah. <laughs> well, at least think about it <laughs> yeah just like stop looking at me spin bike um that's so true though and you know what actually i just started doing recently is um i ha- I have this journal. It's called the Five Minute Journal. Mm -hmm. And it's literally just that. You open it up and you only spend like five minutes writing uh, answers to like already curated questions for you. And they're so simple. They're just like, name like three things that could make your day really great. And then it will be like... um, you know, like a daily affirmation for yourself or something. And then Mm -hmm. there's like the night version where it will be like, what three things happened today that like were amazing? And then it will be like, um, what could you have done differently that would have made today even better? Mm -hmm. And so like, I've started doing this in the mornings when I wake up, because I feel like just like putting that energy out there every day is helping me like stay accountable and the things that I need to do or want to do and sometimes it's things just like the spin bike where I'm like gosh today would have been great if I did get on that Mm -hmm. spin bike and then the next morning I wake up and I look at you know look at that and I'm like okay well then I got to get on the spin bike today because yesterday I was saying that the day would have been better if I did it but I didn't do it so now I got to do it.
1: That's actually another one of my Secrets, I guess, is uh-huh. I had learned from a business class actually in art school to write down a list of everything you want to manifest basically
0: mm-hmm. in
1: um, your journal the night before and you just write it down, make your list every night and then it could be the things that you want to do the next day like workout or big career things or mm-hmm. personal things. Um, but when you write it down, your subconscious works on it at mm-hmm. night. And when you're sleeping and then the next day, like, well, every day is a baby step towards the thing that you're going to do, but totally. it just makes it, your brain has figured out how you're going to do it. Like mm-hmm. it'll just happen. And everything in my career, I manifested that way. Like I wrote it down in a journal every night before I went to sleep and all these amazing things have happened that are so unbelievable. Like it's still unbelievable to me that I wrote and published books, um, which is like a dream since I was a little kid. And I mean, my brain figured out a way to do that. And it's because it kind of like looks at it knows what you want to do. And then you that's when you start to notice the things that are like, Oh, there's like maybe a workshop I would have not paid attention to online or Oh, Mm -hmm. look at this book I never thought of or maybe this podcast I never like haven't listened to but it actually answers the thing that I was looking for. It's Mm because your brain is already like looking out for those things.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And like you're, you're, you're logging it in there because if you weren't doing that, you're kind of just waking up and going through the day with like no real plan other than like, I have to go to work. That's about it. I have to eat food. But (laughs) once you start like creating these like plans, little plans, little things like today, I'm going to leave the house and get a coffee because I haven't left the house in seven days. Just like little things like that, you know, all of a sudden you've created this, this, project almost and it's in there and it's logged and it doesn't have to be like become president by the next election it can be such little things but once you start building them and seeing them and creating them and making space for them suddenly things just start happening
1: yeah or you get those little like those little pings that are like oh maybe I want to draw this today or oh maybe Mm -hmm. I want to like remember this book I read three years ago like maybe I want to pick that up again like those are all little signs that the universe is giving you of like this is the direction, or this is the baby yep. step today to get to the thing that yep. you want to do.
0: Yeah, I love it. And um, I anybody out there that's listening, I've been loving my five minute journal. I think it, the company called Intelligent Change, but it's it's so it's just such a sweet little
1: daily that reminder so of cool. I've doing been fun to, little things. I've been thinking of getting like a prompted journal like that.
0: Yeah, and it's so easy, you know. It's not like ball busting questions. It's just like the same thing every day, and you're like, "Oh, huh." I'm thinking about things now. My brain is working. The wheels are turning. <laughs> yeah,
1: you have so we have so little time in our lives to be self-reflective, right? Mm-hmm. Or like, I feel like I don't have a lot of time to just sit and stare at a wall and think, honestly. But yeah. that's where a lot of the, a lot of the breakthroughs happen. Mm, totally right. Which is why you get them when you're like in the shower or driving which now we don't do so <laughs> you get even less time to be self-reflective or have those breakers
0: yeah well um i know you already mentioned that you're about to release your fourth book is that coming in the next couple of months like when oh gosh can we no to see i am that in,
1: i am deep in the writing of the manuscript right now okay it is scheduled to come out in fall 2022
0: Awesome. Well, I can't wait for the release. And then also, one of like the most important things I've been wanting to ask you about tonight, I saved it for the end for dessert. Uh-huh. You have like a farm at your house, don't oh. you?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Um, well, I have three chickens that are <laughs> new additions that are quarantine additions to the house, to the family. And before that, we have Two little dogs and a cat. So everybody's the same size, pretty uh-huh. much. Um, but yes, they do, just like um, just like Duchess Megan. <laughs> Basically, she has like chickens? a Duchess. Yeah.
0: Oh my God, I didn't know that. It,
1: it was just in the Oprah interview, but oh yeah. Oh
0: my God, I haven't watched it yet. It's on my to do list. Oh,
1: everybody texted me once they saw yeah. that she, they had chickens.
0: Oh my God, I love it. So do you. Are your chickens pets or do you also eat eggs? Like how does um, what are, they, what are are, they doing?
1: They are pets, we don't eat them. Um and they do lay eggs. Two of them mm-hmm. have started laying this year. One is still holding out on us. Um, but they do lay almost every day and yeah, they're just they're very fun to have. They're very Do you eat their eggs? We do eat their eggs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. After, when we got our first egg, I was like, how can I eat this precious thing? Right? But they lay every single day pretty much. So. <laughs> oh
0: my God. That's nuts. I did not know chickens laid eggs that often. They
1: do. And they, and we don't even have the kind that like are in most, um, like conventional chicken factories that lay the really uh. big eggs. They lay like smaller eggs because they're more like, we have an Americana and a buff Brahma and a, um, a black ostrac and so they like they're just breeds of chickens so mm-hmm. like one lays a blue egg and one lays a little smaller oh brown gosh. egg and so um they're not like i learned the hard way when i was baking with them i was like mm, this challah is really dry and i was like oh because their eggs are too small like <laughs> They're not oh the same God. volume weight as, say, a large egg from the oh, interesting from the uh, yeah. market. So it was real interesting, but they're delicious to eat, you know, just on their own as eggs. So we do eat them. It's fun. I get to play my little like cottagecore life. Uh, uh-huh. They're very, they're very fun and sweet and intelligent. Which is now we don't eat chicken anymore because of that. Like, yeah. they <laughs> have such distinct personalities. They, I could talk about chickens forever, but they have such distinct personalities, and they get scared like little animals do. But they're also very um, curious, and like they love they love bananas, they love greens. They know that we have a garden box, and they're not supposed to jump on it to eat greens straight out of the garden, but they do it when we turn our backs. Oh my they gosh. love to take little baths. They have their own little hierarchy, their little pecking order. Um, And they'll jump on us to like, if we're feeding them treats and to get pets. So, and Mm -hmm. then like, they'll come up and wait outside my studio door when I'm not outside with them and my husband is because they're waiting for me to bring them (laughs) more treats. Oh my God, that is
0: hilarious. And they
1: sunbathe. It's really adorable.
0: Do they get along with the dog and cat?
1: Yeah, everyone pretty much ignores each other. Um, the chickens are definitely like the boss though. Like if our dogs are too much up in their business, which our dogs aren't, they're very, they're very chill little dogs. Uh Um, the chicken will like either make a noise or like kind of peck at them so that they know back off. Our cat is just, she's a sweet scaredy cat. So she's scared Mm. of everything. And sometimes my husband will bring the chicken into his office where the cat usually hangs out and the chicken and the cat just ignore each other it's really it's really really funny when we had them as little baby chicks inside the house in their little brooder, um the the cat came would come by and look at them and then just run away if the chickens like came up there and that's when they were like tiny little baby chicks yeah. that you see oh and my gosh. she um she's funny she's very funny um and the chickens what's funny is like the chickens will see like um the other day my husband had a bag of litter on, outside which had a picture of a cat on it and one of the chickens started making this, like, chickens have, like, 20 different sounds they make that mean different things. And it started making this little alarm, you know, chirp. What? Be- and it was freaked out by the picture of the cat on oh the litter God. bag. And so my husband, like, turned it around. Because he was like, what? There's nothing around here. And so you turned the litter bag around and the chicken was fine. Whereas our real That's cat, crazy. they don't
0: care about. <laughs> I had no idea that chickens were, like, that smart and, like, oh, yeah like aware of their like what's going on and like who things are and how they operate i did not know that they were that like alert with us i guess
1: they really are and like the more you have the more they have roles like there'll Mm -hmm. be one that does the sounds the alarm there'll be little sentinels it's just yeah there's a whole yeah they have a whole little social system
0: I love it. Um, I'm like obsessed. Like I one day want to have like goats and like a cow yeah. and like lots of other little like animals. I think it would be so fun to have a bunch of like animals around the house that aren't just the typical cat dog. You know? Um, yeah. Totally. I I don't know if I'll ever have that, but you I will. You joke can manifest it. <laughs> it.
1: I honestly never thought I would own chickens. Um, and when we bought our house last year, and then we we literally bought our house at the beginning of the pandemic oh, and so we suddenly were stuck in this house that um we didn't know any of our neighbors and we moved to a new neighborhood too so it was just like okay what can we do at our house so we started gardening my husband mm-hmm. took up woodworking and so I was like why don't you build a chicken coop <laughs> and we got so chicken cool. and I have a friend who has a lot of chickens, so she really was like on board with it and downloading yeah. me on all the information and I literally but like Two days passed between me saying, why don't you build a chicken coop? And we had baby chicks. (laughs) And just, I was just like full into the research of how to raise chickens and just became my full-time hobby raising chickens. It's just, it's so fun. And I love animals. My husband loves animals. They've been a huge, huge delight during this time.
0: I bet. Have you drawn any chickens yet? Have you done any like artwork of your chickens? I I haven't
1: <laughs> I haven't done serious artwork of it. I've drawn like I have like a little chicken board in my kitchen with their names and ages and when they were born and their nice. breeds. And that has like little chickens drawn on it. But I do want to do paintings of chickens because they're so beautiful and different. There's so yeah. many different breeds too.
0: Oh yeah. I feel like it'd be gorgeous with all the feathers and different yeah. colors of the chickens. Um, and I feel like chickens are like a very common art for some reason in people's (laughs) homes Like I feel like a lot of people have chicken art in their house or I
1: hope so because i'm gonna make more right now. So I hope there's a demand (laughs) for it
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, that is awesome. I love it And then of course I just wanted to ask you the biggest question that I ask everybody on the show Which you obviously are so on board with but what does sisterhood mean to you?
1: Oh my gosh. It means community. Um, I don't have a biological sister. And so I have, but I've always wanted one. So I just have, and I'm the kind of person who has always been a girl's girl and love having a lot of female friends. And even now, like so many of my female friendships are people who continue to inspire me, lift me up, help me in any way they can. And are people who are the type of people who will bring your name up in the room. And that's super important to me. And that's what sisterhood means to me.
0: Yes. I love it. And your entire life now is pretty much sisterhood. (laughs) (laughs) You just keep creating more. You just keep amplifying the sisterhood every year with new art and new books and new stories. So it's incredible.
1: Yeah. It's it's finding new and interesting ways to do it because – Obviously, we don't want to do the same thing over and over, right? And my editor actually really helped me reframe that recently where she was Mm -hmm. like, you know, to give people more, you actually don't have to give them more and more. You can actually just show them a different aspect of yourself. Mm -hmm. And that's that was, for me, a light bulb moment of like, oh, I don't actually just have to, like, write more and more and give more and more to prove Mm -hmm. and keep my, like keep my daily worth of why I belong here. (laughs) It's like, you can actually continue to show different aspects of yourself that, um, people will connect with. And that's, yeah, that's the fun part of living. Right. Oh
0: yeah. (laughs) And that's the fun part of being creative. You know, it doesn't always, it evolves, it changes, it grows, it develops. And, you know, the things that we start out doing, are some of the most important things we'll do, and it helps us find our audience and our people, and the you know the the people out there that care about us and are inspired by us. And then once you have your your crew, you can just keep growing and flourishing, and they'll thrive with you
1: along the way. It's so cool, and it really is. Like at the end of the day, um, it really doesn't matter like how much success or money that you have it really matters the relationships and connections that you have Mm -hmm. with people. And that's been the most rewarding thing to learn. Mm -hmm. And I've always prized community over competition, but it's just like now I feel like I have a really great community that I've cultivated. And at the beginning of this journey, like I said, I felt really alone and like, I didn't have a lot of friends who understood what I was doing or a lot of people who understood what I was doing. So it's been, just really nice to get to a point where I didn't feel, a point now where I don't feel alone and that I get to talk to cool people like you and your audience and just have this huge community of people.
0: Yeah, it's it's incredible. It is so amazing. I love all the women out there in the world that not only support me and my podcast, but you and your books and are just, it just becomes a family. At least it has for me. It's definitely become a family and um, everybody loves hearing the stories and they love supporting the people that tell the stories. And really, we're all here for one thing, and that's to uplift women Mm -hmm. and amplify their voices and build a sisterhood. So I love it. It's my favorite. um well i wanted you to take a moment to tell everybody how they can find you where they can like stay in touch with you whether that's your website or instagram or how they can find your art classes or even purchase your books um all of that all of that good yeah. stuff
1: well my books are available everywhere books are sold um if you go to bookshop it supports your local bookstores if they're not i um, shipping at this time so i love ordering through bookshop um and you can find me online. I'm on Instagram at and Danger, And my website is ann-sharn.com, ann-sharn.com. And um, you can find my classes on Skillshare just by searching my name, An Sharn.
0: Cool. Well, thank you so much for being with me today. This has seriously been a dream come true. <laughs> I know that probably sounds crazy. You're like, who's this random girl that's like obsessed with
1: me? <laughs> no. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You seriously wrote such a touching email. I had to come on, of course.
0: Well, I am so appreciative of you being here and I'm sure everybody's so excited that you're here and they can finally hear your voice and know more about you. Oh, yeah. And I have no doubt they're going to be rushing off to get your books um but yeah just thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me and um just to be a part of mimosas sisterhood podcast i feel like you know just like with your books i'm creating this huge yeah. just inventory of not only incredible women in history stories but the everyday woman like yourself who has an incredible inspirational story as well so i'm so happy you're on the show and you're part of this group and just thank you
1: thank you so much for creating this show Honestly, thank
0: you for creating your books that created the show.
1: (laughs) I am. I'm so glad you did it so I don't have to. (laughs) Like, that's the best part about being part of this is that um, I created the thing I wanted. And Mm -hmm. now there's so many books and podcasts and movies that feature women's stories And I love that because now I don't have to seek out all of it myself.
0: (laughs) Well, there's so. And you know
1: how much work it is. It takes all of us (laughs) to do it. There's space for all of us to do this because there are so I mean, we were literally half the population stories have not been told.
0: Holy smokes. Can you guys believe that Anne Shen was on the podcast? Like, what in the world? Does that mean that I've made it? <laughs> anyway, I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. It was so awesome to talk to Anne in real life, learn more about her story how she got into art, how she ended up publishing books, but also just to hear the way she talked about her experience researching and writing the life stories of women throughout history, how she also felt less alone looking and evaluating their lives, that she also felt more empowerment and more self-love about herself when studying these women throughout history. I know I feel that every single week that I record episodes, But I feel so much better that Anne shares that same sentiment that I do. So just such a cool experience being able to meet her and record an episode with her. So again, thank you guys all for tuning in, for being here, for supporting the show, for supporting me as I create this show. It's truly an honor to be able to do this. And as always, if you feel like this episode is one that will resonate with a friend or a family member, please be sure to share the episode with them via email or text message and also share the episode on social media with your followers. It's really the best way for us to get under the eyes of people out there that don't know we exist. And also just a great way to show your support for the show. So I love you guys all dearly. Happy Women's History Month. You all mean the absolute world to me. And I will see you on the other side. Bye.